Welcome to another edition of Conversations with Creative Women. I'm Sandy Klein. Polly Draper does it all, and so well. An award-winning actress, writer, producer, director, wife, mother. She wears several of those hats for her latest project, Stella's Last Weekend. Polly wrote, directed, and stars in this movie, which also features her two sons, Nate and Alex Wolfe. Stella's Last Weekend won grand prize at the 2018 San Antonio Film Festival and Best Family Film at the Itzke Global Festival. More on that coming up. Polly's probably best known to fans as Ellen Warren in the 80s TV hit 30-something. She was nominated for a Primetime Emmy in 1988 as Outstanding Supporting Actress in a Dramatic Series. Polly co-starred in other TV hits, including Gideon's Crossing, Golden Boy, The Good Wife, and Rhinebrook. She also has a recurring role in the CBS All Access series, Tell Me a Story. Polly also wrote and starred in The Tick Code, an award-winning film about a gifted young pianist who finds success despite facing overwhelming odds. It, too, won several awards, including Best Feature Film at the Berlin International Film Festival. And then there's The Naked Brothers Band, which she wrote, directed, and produced for Nickelodeon. It was a real family affair, featuring both her sons and their dad, Polly's husband, jazz musician Michael Wolfe, who served as co-executive producer and music advisor. She won a Writers Guild Award for Best Children's Script. All right, I'm going to end this introduction so we can meet and get to know Polly Draper. So welcome and thanks so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. Polly. Did you always want to be an actress? When you were growing up, did you put plays on in the basement? Yes, but I didn't know that it was a profession. I just thought it was a fun thing to do. My first film was Murder on Draper Lane, which was uh, <laughs> a film that I got the entire neighborhood and my family to be in. So oh, I you cast everybody? An, I did. So I guess this is just an extension of it, what I'm doing now. So, um, so what what were you doing in Murder on Draper Lane? Did I was star, I write, direct. The star, and uh, I wrote it and, uh-huh. and uh, directed it. My father held the camera and... Did it not have wide release? Because I don't recall having seen that. (laughs) My mother did the stunts. Like, she did stunt driving because we weren't old enough to drive. So she, her her head was peeking out the, the... you know, underneath the car. That was her performance. But what, what propelled you to do that? And how old were you? I was when? 11. 11. Yeah. Okay. But since I was, I don't know, so I I just put on little plays, you know. It was na- these were natural I, acts, no pun intended, natural were, acts for you, <laughs> Natural <right>? acts, yeah. <laughs> I just, uh, I, when I found out that you could actually do it for a living, my life <laughs> became worth living. <laughs> <laughs> Did you star... In the school plays growing yes, up? Yes, uh-huh. I did. I played Captain Hook. Oh. I played the stepmother. <laughs> Wait the a minute. Ex- now there's a, there's a um, theme I'm realizing. Coming. <laughs> Evil, huh? Guinevere in Camelot. Mm-hmm. Yes, I was. Mm-hmm, I did. Start. And so was th- th- that an obvious choice for you to go to school, college, and major in theater? No, I actually, I was a combination major of English and drama at Yale. Mm-hmm. And then I went to drama school there, too. I felt like I needed some kind of well-rounded foundation, foundation. sort of. Or, uh, yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. But I'm not sure that that's true in this business, but it was a good thing for life. But you're not from <laughs> around this area, right? No, I'm from um, California, Palo Alto. And so you come east to I go came, to Yale. Yep. And you stay? Yeah. And I basically stayed. Um, uh, we did 30-something in L.A., but I ended up, uh, I did plays in New York before that. And, mm-hmm. 
and then came back after. So was the beginning of your career one of those stereotypical kind of careers of having to waitress? It was a tough to get an agent. And, and no. Talk to us about that. Okay. Not really, because when I was at Yale, I got cast in um, production at the Yale Rep, and I was seen by a lot of people, and then I got an agent there. And so I ended up working as soon as I came to New York. I was doing a lot of plays. That's terrific. Yeah. I did have a waitressing job that I got fired from because I was (laughs) – I thought, oh, wait, I have to remember the orders. I was just (laughs) chit-chatting. It's just so really – I mean, it just gets in the way. So annoying. Well, as a cocktail waitress, and cocktail waitresses have to remember the drinks, and I wasn't really a big drinker and didn't really know much what about that all what meant. the drinks yeah. were <laughs> with a twist and with a uh, And so I, I, they would talk to me, and I would be much more interested in your conversation what, yes, yeah uh-huh. and forget the drink order and they you know they want their drinks yeah that's it a lot of so nerve <laughs> <laughs> well maybe that's all for the best so you started in theater yeah i did and was that something that you would have been content to continue doing i love everything Every aspect, which is why I like to write and direct and all of it. I love acting in plays. I love acting in movies. Mm-hmm. I love acting in TV as long as the role and the movie or speaks TV to you. Is, speaks to me. Yeah. But loving writing and directing and producing is great. That doesn't mean that you can yeah, do it. Do it. Yeah. And but, I want to know about that because. I have to just say, as I do in just about every conversation I have, the tie that binds these 400-plus women who I have had the pleasure to meet and get to know is this belief in themselves. Mm -hmm. And they may not necessarily have started that way. And for some, it might have been a tough climb. But I can do it is what that mantra is. And that that, that gets me very emotional. So glad that you brought this up because— the trajectory from me being an actress into writing my own things mm-hmm. came when I was on 30-something. There was an episode where they wanted me to, to God, what was it, get some sort of a UTI or get, you know, get the clap, I think. Uh-huh. And they'd already given me an ulcer. They'd given, uh, they'd given another woman ovarian cancer. Mm-hmm. I thought enough already with the yeah. women problems as plot points. Right, as vehicles to move yeah. the show along. So I kept all the same locations and all the same characters in this script that had already been written. And I came up with a, an idea that would not have anything to do with that, but Mm -hmm. be able to keep... I realized, you know, we've already gotten the locations. There's money involved here. You can't really change things. But I figured something out, and then I thought, you know... I think I have a good mind for for working through problems in in uh-huh. scripts, and it wasn't just the the clap or the UTI. <laughs> it was more like I saw it as a puzzle, as an emotional puzzle, uh-huh. and I and I thought of all the steps, emotional steps you need to get to the end of a piece as a as a character, and then because they were very open on that show, they were very good to us. They let. A lot of the people wanted to direct. At that time, I didn't feel like I was ready, and I think that that's something a lot of women 
sure. feel all the time yeah. that they're I'm not, not worthy. I'm not worthy. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, gosh. All those bossing around, all those men, I don't know. Who don't want to take orders from me. Yeah, from me. I've heard that, yes. Um, but the writing thing, it just kept sticking with me because I thought, uh, I know that at uh, drama school, we had taken a lot of classes with playwrights because mm-hmm. they wanted the actor's input. And I think that that helped me feel empowered. Empowered. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. So um so then I did that and then and then there was a lot of self-defense writing in terms of hmm. um other projects I was in, a movie called A Million to One. I still get um free margaritas sometimes <laughs> in Mexican restaurants cuz people I recognize it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. From that movie it, it was really a fun movie, but it had a lot of problems and and they were very also very open about me fixing things mm-hmm. and so i i fixed a lot of the in my scenes issues because of that i thought maybe i should write my own script in our family we'd done also apart from murder on draper lane and uh, or uh, my other epic feature it's all relative <laughs> which had which had um all my aunts and my mother and my grandmother being sister wives to my uncle oh, <laughs> and and my father. Oh, God, it was wild. Anyway, um, I just had to write parts for every single <laughs> member of my family. So <laughs> apart from that, my family always would put on these. We'd have to we'd write songs when it was people's birth when it were people's birthdays. We we have just a big giant It's the Draper it's troop. The Draper right? troop. <laughs> yeah. So I guess I didn't feel intimidated. I was gonna about use that. that word, yeah. yeah. That way. And writing is something that they're more that seemed more something that they would let that they would let women, women do. do. Yeah. It's so funny because for me I mean, and as a newscaster, I had to write the news, but to sit in front of a computer, forget the typewriter, for me, it's a contrived act. And I marvel at the ease, and not that it's so simple for everybody, that people can do that. I don't think people should be dismissive about writing because it's one thing to portray a character and convince somebody that you are who you are. You know, you're the murderess on Draper Lane. It's another to think— I was the detective. Okay. (laughs) Another to think that what you have inside of you would interest me. Oh, exactly. First of all, that's a stumbling block that women have is thinking that anything that they would be interested in— I'm not worthy. Yeah, Mm -hmm. is interesting Mm -hmm. to other people. And— I think prior to Greta Gerwig's movie last year, right. anytime a woman wrote a movie, if it was about a small subject, it would be dismissed. Yeah. Are you like, kidding? Well, instead yeah. of a small a small story like that is a microcosm of— And it's very powerful. The, 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 yeah. The, some of the most powerful stories mm-hmm. are those little stories. Right. But they wouldn't—they— you know, you thought, oh, if I don't do a movie about space, <laughs> the space travel, or if I don't do a movie about superheroes, or if I don't do a movie about war, mm-hmm. it's not going to be profound enough. And I think um, women, me, my generation, drank that Kool-Aid yeah, for and sure. had a very hard time believing in themselves. And um, so basically what I did then was write the script, The Tick Code, that was based on my knowledge of Tourette's because my husband has Tourette's and was very ashamed of it and mm. had a heart. He's a jazz musician, mm-hmm. Tourette's, and it's about it. It starred Gregory Hines, and it was a 
it's a really beautiful movie, but it was from my very mm. small experience. And I remember always feeling that um, before the critics wrote about it, I'd have to combat saying, well, you know, it's not a... It's 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 not a small subject. It's a big, you know. I, I, I've just always felt like I had to defend hmm. the little nuances of right. life, and that's honestly why Thirty Something was so special. Is that it was about little things mm. and mm. let led the way to a lot of shows that were about little things. Even the comedies like Seinfeld and Sure and Friends, exactly. Good point. Were mm-hmm. about little things mm-hmm. and. Um, it hadn't been like that before, the, the landscape. It had been, you know, rich people in dynasty or, you know, oh, and, uh, right. all, the, all the things were epic and they had to be very soap opera-esque or they had to be, you know, And what's relatable to it, to Peyton Place, yeah, you know? I no. mean, what, what is it about that that you can— No, exactly. It's so, the intimacy the that intimacy affords— and, Oh, my God, you're talking to me. women have. Yeah. That women are able to—it's to, um, their stock in trade almost, and men— have a harder time with in general. I had the pleasure of interviewing Deborah Granick, the director who did Winter's Bone, and then also oh, just did yes. um, Leave No Trace. I, and that's the joy of this, too. You know, women directors, I don't want to say are super ubiquitous, but are certainly more, more than what you were talking about back in the day. Well, they're out there. They may be making more documentaries than features, but their names, you know. You know, that is starting, it's, women are starting to be in now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's I like, hope it's not a passing Finally, fact. yeah, well. Well, we're uh, more than 50% of the population. Uh, right, right, right. Yeah, right, but, right. Um, what, what, yeah. Anyway, Let's not ruin our comedy. Yeah, let's not ruin our day. Here's the thing. When I got into the Directors Guild, there were very few women. It was about t- ten years ago, fifteen years ago, maybe. There weren't there. There the early two thousands. Yeah, uh-huh. the early two thousands. There honestly weren't. There aren't that many women directors still. Yes, and there that's right. And ten years ago, there were even fewer. Right. Because it started becoming more of a trend when people said, "Hey, isn't that crazy that we have so few women directors?" Catherine Bigelow. Mm. Sort of made that happen. Mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. She, f- people said, "Oh, you mean women can direct movies about war?" Yeah, right. Or, and so suddenly she was taken seriously because she directed a movie about war. Mm-hmm. It was a you know wonderful movie, The Hurt Locker. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. But I think that's that's when they could say, "Hey, women are people too. Women <laughs> can direct too." Women. Anyway, I was a must join for the Directors Guild because of the Naked Brothers Band. Um, movie. Which was for television. Which it wasn't. I made the movie as a movie. Okay. And then someone from Nickelodeon saw it and thought this would be an amazing TV show. And I didn't want my kids to be working that yeah, much. Like that. How old were I they, they were One of them was six and one of them was nine. <laughs> get and, out there and get yeah, a job and get uh, your card. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> Except that they were so both of them wanted to. My, Nat had a sign on his door saying, I want to be a, a child <laughs> actor. So we kind of made a deal that we'd only do episodes during the summer so that they could go to school, especially because all the kids in the show were all friends of Nat and Alex's who went to the same school, and the school was <laughs> having a fit of about course. the fact that we'd have to. Anyway, they were. Um, the the Nickelodeon thing I was going to say, oh, I, I was a must join for Nickelodeon because yeah, then yeah. I was going to direct all those episodes. So I got a call from a guy representing the Directors Guild that said to me, 
And by the way, anytime you interview a woman director, I would like to hear what they said to them because I didn't know any women directors except one mm-hmm. that, that I could ask if they said this to them. And but you were asked what? I was asked, we want to make sure that you understand the difference between acting and directing. <laughs> That's what I did. <laughs> and then I said, yeah. And then I said, do you? Ask the male actors who want to be directors this question. And then he completely backed down and said, listen, it wasn't my question. I just had to ask you that. And there's one more thing. I have to um, send you a book on directing. Just to make sure you know what you're doing? Yes. Mm. And I said, okay. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Hopefully you didn't read it. I didn't. You know what? I don't even remember right now if it even came because I was so mad. I mean, if it came, I probably threw it out out just because it came in that in that Mm -hmm. that way, that lack of trust way, or that patronizing that patronizing way. way. And so I just wondered if that was something that other women had to who Mm -hmm. who became directors. That there are so few of us that now it's probably a different thing, and they wouldn't dare. dare. Well, I still think that the fact that there, while there may be more female documentary filmmakers, and I have met a whole slew of them, it's not that often yeah. that I meet someone or have interviewed a woman who's directed a feature. I mean, obviously, yeah. uh, Deborah Granick is a heavyweight. Yeah. And so maybe that's a great segue to you and your getting behind the camera in something as large as Stella's last yeah. weekend, which is very personal on yes. so many levels. So what happened? One day you just woke up and said, I've got this great idea for a movie? Or, Actually, I mean, your stars had to be aligned. You know, you had to have the time. You had to have the idea. Actually, it started because I wrote a movie that's really big balls-out comedy called Stage Mom. And Kate uh, Blanchett was going to do it. Because she really you don't want to be in your own films. I would love to. I just didn't think it could sell with me in it. That's unfortunate. That's that is the unfortunate, unfortunate truth. Yep. yep. Yeah. Okay. I'm sort of wearing all the hats. I um, anyway. Kate Blanchett was um, going to do it, and her agent was worried about. Oh, but she's a first time director, and I'm worried yeah. about that. Mm-hmm. Even though I wasn't a first time director, I directed and, and, and produced an entire TV series for yeah, but, three years. But, yeah, but who cares? But who cares? Mm-hmm. Because I'm a woman, and they'll <laughs> let millions of first time director. You know, when I was a stage mom on the set for Nat and Alex, there'd be all of these first time male directors. And I'd be like, oh, God, I'd be sitting in my chair, like I, my clawing my chair. Right, ready to just I, spring. I really yeah. like to tell them something yeah, to right. help them mm-hmm. out, <laughs> but I can't mm-hmm. tell them. Anyway, I had written that, and they said, well, you really— So then I thought, okay, well, why don't I write a smaller script? And I love working with my sons. There's a whole other dynamic mm. that can happen now. They're both— stars now in their own rights, mm-hmm. and I can get a small movie made with them so mm-hmm. that to show that, you know. So I wrote this and started just loving every minute of well, writing what it. was the genesis of this? The you, idea? You woke up one day and had this, oh, wow. Um, well, I wanted to write a love story about brothers, that two brothers that just that loved each other more than anything in the mm-hmm. world, that mm-hmm. just were devoted to each other. And I thought, 
the dynamic would work better if there was no father. So one of the brothers was sort of the surrogate father for the other. Then so what do you play, I, a widow or a divorcee? A widow. So lo and behold, my actual husband got cancer and almost died, terrible kind of weird cancer, and almost died. So that enriched it and made mm-hmm. it and enhanced it in a lot of ways. Also, I th- I thought that the event that was going to surround it would be about the whole family coming together uh, to put their dog to sleep. Because I think of animals in in families as being the touchstone of a lot of emotional um, growth yep. and love mm-hmm. and um, unconditional unconditional love, love yeah. and people can all agree on. If they don't agree on anything else, they can all agree on that kind of love for mm-hmm. the dog. And I wanted the dog to represent a certain time in their lives when the father had that they got the dog when the father had been alive. The dog ended up um, being in the family longer for the two boys than the father. Mm-hmm. That they mm-hmm. ended up having more of a relationship with the animal. with the animal. Mm-hmm. And um, so this that was. I thought an interesting Was it easy to write? Did it kind of pour out of you? It poured out of me, Mm -hmm. yeah. It was very easy to write, in that anything is easy to write. Nothing is is ever completely easy to write, but... It was more of a calling. It was more of a calling, Mm -hmm. yeah. And I hear Nat and Alex's voices in my head because, first of all, they're both hilariously funny, and they're both interesting people, and they're both different. And um, they had these two alter egos... The two of them kind of launch into these funny alter ego characters. Um, one of them is Nats, is named George Walters, and Alex's is named um, Nelson. And they were re- in from from reality, where when Nat was fifteen, he just started talking like this goofy guy. Sometimes George Walters and make made everyone laugh. Then Alex did the same thing when he was fifteen. But neither of those characters had ever had ever met each other. Mm-hmm. They just evolved directly from my kids and mm-hmm. then faded out. So I thought it would be fun if they talked to each other. So Nat and Alex, Jack and Ollie, the in, characters in are the film, in yeah. the film, when they're trying to make each other laugh or they're trying to release tension that maybe they it could turn into a fight, they go into their little funny characters. Mm-hmm. And, so um, that was very much from real life. There were some funny lines that Alex improvised, one of which was they get a new puppies and there's a um, a pug dog that has one eye on one side of his head and one <laughs> eye on the other and there's a close-up of, of him and and Alex says your dog's eyes are in two separate area codes <laughs> uh-huh. and he just said some really you know he just is has such a, a comic gift so that added to it the dynamic between my two boys on the set you can't buy that kind of chemistry. So the caption is natural. Yeah. It was all just organically natural. It was right? natural, authentic, yeah. yeah, from the tapestry of their their existence together. How do you feel about this film versus some of the other things that you've done, whether it be directing, writing, or producing? It's, right. I think, my favorite thing I've ever done with it's, them. I'm really proud of it, the writing of it. I'm really proud of the way I directed it. I'm blown away by their my son's performances in it. 
I loved acting with them, which mm-hmm. I hadn't intended to do. There was another actress that was going to do it, and her schedule didn't work out. Oh, that's funny. Yeah. That, that you didn't write that part no, for you? No. And then, wow. the, um, and then Nat and Alex said, you know that part was always should have been you. It, and, and it increases the whole authenticity of this yeah. movie to have you play that part and— and Stella is the name of the dog, which is, Stella is your dog. dog. Yeah. yeah, boy, talk about nepotism. Right? I mean, from the humans oh, down to the I animal. totally nepotism. <laughs> you own that, that, right? <laughs> I own that. You know, but that was a, that's a, uh, another funny story, though, is that I had read this article about how old dogs, ha- they have a hard time adopting old dogs. You know, people don't yeah, adopt yeah. old dogs. Mm-hmm. So I thought, wow, I could maybe do a good deed and get a dog for my character in this movie because our beloved dog had just died. We had put the dog down. and mm-hmm. I'd already had experience with this because on the Naked Brothers Band, we'd put our dog in that show, and she was way better than the dogs that we hired because she wanted to be there. She wanted to be hanging with, the, you know, the other ones are always looking at their master or wondering when <laughs> what they're going to get fed. What am I yeah. doing here? Yeah, right. And why are they making me do this? So I saw this, uh, this place called Rescue Dogs Rock had a picture of an old dog who was wearing, they put sunglasses on her and a really blingy necklace. <laughs> and and I thought, oh, I'm just in love with this poor old dog that is so sweet and demure that they let her <laughs> do all this to her. So I found out that she was... Available. Home- Available. <laughs> <laughs> she was a homeless person's dog, and they had uh, rescued her from the street. She was freezing on the street, and they took three firemen to lift her into the into the fire truck because she had she weighed about a zillion pounds oh, good because Lord. she had a problem with her thyroid and no one had addressed yes. all her and she had worms and when I brought her home she had a UTI my kids, oh there you go back you know what right those yeah the women around. yeah right <laughs> <laughs> my kids were like mom are you insane yeah really this dog really then we had her for about three months and um. By the time we started shooting the movie, she'd lost 20 pounds. She was frisky. She was so happy to be alive. Well, she, she, was, had, she loved being she with the wolves. She loved being with the wolves and, and also heard she was going to be a star, so she— Hello. Yeah, right? <laughs> <laughs> We're running out of time, yeah. but I just wanted to ask, what can we expect from Polly Draper? Well, hopefully I can get my other movie, Stage Mom Made, which is a comedy, mm-hmm. and I'm writing— Which is finished. Something Which is finished. Okay. Yeah. And I'm writing something else about the Olympics that was uh, another producer hired me to do that I'm hoping to direct. So that's kind of where your focus is these days? It is and it is. Behind the camera? I'm doing—no, um, because they want me to direct it also. So, right, but I'm saying as opposed to being in front of, front the, of camera. the camera. Yeah. Yes and no. I love acting. It's my first love. Sure. And um, and I'm doing a recurring part on a new show called Tell Me a Story for CBS. Right. And so I do that anytime I can. It's just um, as you get older as a woman, there's just not that yeah, much. Yeah, no, not that much. And, there, and not that much that's interesting. So I'd rather be— home reading a really interesting book sometimes than, I hear you. than being a, in a stupid I know, part just for the sake of it. Just for the sake of it, yeah. Could you make me a deal that when you're working on your next venture, you'll come back? That and I come we'll, back? Would I would do love that? to. I would thank love for, to continue. Thank you for making the deal with me. Oh, I mean, I'm so happy to be it, talking we're shaking to you. on we're it. We're shaking you know? on it. You're just so warm and funny and engaging, Thank and you. I it's I, I, I love what I do. You're very easy to talk to. Oh my gosh, <laughs> this was so great. 
We're reminding everybody it's Stella's last weekend. Stella's last weekend. Go out and see it. Holly Draper, so glad that there was murder on Draper Lane. Yes. You know, I mean, because if there was no murder on Draper Lane, where would would we we be We wouldn't have Stella's last weekend. Hello. Hello. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much. Join us for another edition of Conversations with Creative Women. I'm Sandy Klein. Mm -hmm.